Today's special guest is Dale Robinson. How you doing today, Mr. Robinson? I'm doing phenomenal. How about you? Doing good, man. So how long have you been uh, in operations with Guru Fitness? Started in my garage of January the 1st of 2016. But it kind of started a little bit before then, which is actually, I created it while I was in prison. It's probably like 2010. And I just manifested until when I got out. Okay, so let's, let's, let's touch base on that and then go back to the fitness part. So you were in prison at in 2010, or did you go Yes, I, I was in prison at 2010. I actually was just working out. For, I was in Manchester, then I got shipped to Fort Dix, New Jersey, which I continued to work out. And then there was this one one kid that was from Philly, young kid. He kept saying, like, I was just working out. He kept asking me every day, like, you know, will you train me? Will you train me? I was like, listen, I don't want to train. I just want workout and, and, you know, and go home, as he kept asking me. So within a week, I gave in, and then I started training him. From there, I actually started training multiple people in prison. So that's kind of how. I made money in prison. You know, I took care of myself in prison by just training people. I probably had people every hour on the hour. You know, I had different ethnicities. I had Dominicans, blacks, whites. I was just training everybody. And as I continued to train, there was this guy that actually worked out with me. He kept saying, you know, I work out with the guru. The guru, he's like, yeah, I work out with the guru. It turned into this being my name to actually my fitness business, which guru uh, actually is an acronym and it stands for generate unique results ultimately, which how I got that, those, those words, my cellmate, which was 11 of them, we actually sat down one day during count time and came up with words for each letter of guru. And it came out to generate unique results ultimately. So you ended up doing six years in jail. I ended up doing 10 years. 10 years? Okay, 10 years. Yeah. How and when, let's touch base on the moment when you knew you were going away. Let's dive into a little bit of of why, if you don't mind. That's fine. Um, I actually was convicted of uh, conspiracy to traffic in five kilos or more. And I mean, five kilos or less. And I actually... It was in 2007, and that was the time that I was actually coaching my youngest son, Wandell, at the time. And, you know, I ended up actually have to tell him that I was going to be gone for 10 years. So, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me stop Let me stop you real quick right there before we go, go into it. As a father of children myself, like, any time that you have to tell a person, especially your child, like, something painful, like, how how that make you feel having to tell your, your child that? That right there was the actual turning point of of my life, even though I was in a bad situation, I was like, when I seen that, that I had to tell him, and then the, the reaction on his face, which was the tears that was well up his eyes, because I had to tell him through a glass window that I was going to be gone mm. for 10 years. I wasn't going to be able to take him to football practice. I wasn't going to be able to take him to Chuck E. Cheese, or, you know, we weren't going to be able to go shopping. And just the, the emotion they showed hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and I was like, yeah, you, you got to do better. Like, you are a lot better person than this, and you have more intelligence than what you're actually showing. I actually walked away from that glass saying, like, when I come back, I'm going to be a better man. Took those 10 years and worked on myself day in and day out. You know, I didn't take a day off of not being a better person or becoming 1% better every day. Yeah, that I, I could only imagine the pain though, truthfully, that you went through having to tell your child that. That's that's hard, man. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. After you walked away from the glass, you know, telling your son that, you more or less spent greater part of your young child's life not being around for certain moments, key moments, et cetera, stuff yeah. like that. How are you able to uphold the relationship with Wandell and your family while you were away for those 10 years? Uh, a lot of a lot of phone calls and a lot of writing letters and stuff like that. Like I'm managing my time on my phone just to make sure that I have the right equal time to, you know, talk to both of my sons, Delvon and Wandell. I just couldn't burn my minutes 
just to be calling anybody and talking to anybody about frivolous stuff. So I had to be very strategic and, and intentional about the people that I was calling, who I was talking to, how long I was talking to, because I had to make sure that I was talking to my kids as much as I possibly could, you know, and I always was up front with them about the things that I was doing. But I also told them like, you know, don't follow my lead. You know, you are much better than this. Like you have a talent. Your God gave you a gift. And I want you all to use y'all's gift. You know, don't be like me. The more thing, the, the thing that about me is that I can tell them this all I want. But when I got out, I had to make sure that I showed them the things that I was telling them while I was in prison. So it matched the, the actions matched mm. the words. I'm going to show you, I'm going to do the action and I'm going to tell you the same thing. But at, at some point in time, you know, when you say that, if you're trying to change your life, you got to back up the words with actions. So I guess, you know, that's what you were trying to correlate, you know, while you were in, inside in a way, do this and do that all the all day long but if my actions don't back it up my children and my family aren't going to believe me you 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 always hit a rock bottom moment would right. you say that moment when you walked away from that glass was your rock bottom moment in life to gear you into changing it for yourself and the ones that you care about most definitely rock bottom we we call it at my gym we call it a c moment it's because because there's a significant a significant emotional event because when you have an emotion an event that's tied to it then it, it makes you wake up and say, hey, I got, I got to do something different, you know. Like, and that's that's what we call rock bottom, but we call it C moment. But you know, I had, I had to wake up and say, you can't do this. Like, like you can't, you, you are tearing your kids down, you tearing the people that believe in you down, you know, and you letting them down. So my biggest thing is not never to let my kids down ever. You know, if I say that I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it because I want to be the example. I don't want to be just to show up uh, for games, but I'm not doing I'm not really walking the walk, but I'm talking. Did I let them know the things that I was doing while I was inside so they can understand, like, you know, my dad is changing. My dad is doing things different and he'll come back a, a better man. Did you ever contemplate suicide when you hit your rock bottom moments? Did you ever think about that while you had those years to reflect on your life choices? Not once. That's a good thing. Not good once. For you. Because, because this is what I believe. And it's, it, it takes people's, you gotta have, you gotta change your perspective. Cause I feel like this, things don't happen to you. Things happen for you. Mm. And when you change your perspective, then you understand that things happen for you. Because if I stayed out on the streets and continue to do what I was doing, possibly Ron Dell would have went down that road. Del Vaughn would have went down that road. Me going away to say, hey, that ain't the way I want to go. That ain't what I want to do. I want to, I don't want to go to prison like my dad. So that happened for me. So it could happen to them too. So and then like as, that, me, going, so, and as me getting, yeah. getting locked up, it happened for me because who knows? I could have been dead. I could have been shot. You know, I could have got 20 years, 30 years. And yours was like, okay, it's time to wake up. It's a little, look, I gave you a little paddle. Like, let's go. Come back better. So I always look at things like that. Like things don't happen to you. Things happen for you. That's a, that's a, that'll make you think, you know, yes. especially that will definitely alleviate any pity parties that a person may or may not have for themselves. Yeah. Black people don't want to take ownership for, the things that they do, it's always somebody else's fault. Like, no, if I didn't sell drugs, I wouldn't be going to jail. I wouldn't be going to jail. I would be going to prison. You know, and I, if I didn't sell drugs, I wouldn't be leaving my kids out here. It's my, it's my fault. I got to take ownership because as soon as I take ownership, then I alleviate anybody else out of the equation. And I, and I put all the blame on me. And now I got to fix me just as much as I put myself in the situation. How were you able to uh, maintain a relationship with yourself? Was it be inside? Because how can I put it? People don't realize you have to have a relationship with yourself in order to maintain life you know right a lot of times people flat out just give up and just give in when they go through certain things in life how are you able to maintain the relationship with yourself while you spent those 10 years away because at the end of the day i know that i'm a winner that's a choice 
That's not something that you was born with. That's not something that, you know, that's that's a choice. Everybody has a choice. And you have a choice to be a winner and you have a choice to love yourself. So, because self-love is the best love. Like, I don't care if who you tell anybody that you love, but you don't love yourself enough that you don't really love them people. Because it all starts with self, self-love. And so everything that I do is about, I, I make sure I love myself first. I love myself enough to change my situations. I love my kids enough to change the situation as well. What What were some of the things that you learned about yourself that you didn't know while you were? What? I was a I'm I'm a natural born leader and I'm a very driven person and I am a connector like I I know how to connect with people from all walks of life it doesn't make a difference if you're white black Spanish I know how to connect with people because when you're in prison you're around all these ethnicities they have they politically they a lot of political in prison which is you know they got gangs they got cities they got but I was all and where I was at. I was the only Kentucky person, mm. but you never know that I was the only Kentucky person because I had so much respect from every, everybody in the prison because they knew what I was about, you know? So I knew that I had a, I had an ability to connect with all walks of life. And that's translated out here to today. You know, I connect with everybody. Like it doesn't make a difference if you are country club or if you from the hood or if you Mexican or if you, you know, Dominican, like I, I still know how to connect with you because I know how to find that. I have a great tact. Let me say that. I'm tacked. I'm super tacked. Nah, yeah, that 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 is a good thing. So let's flash for the moments leading up to you finally getting your release. At what point did you realize the fitness thing was something that you wanted to stick with going forward with your life as far as getting released from prison? That was always my plan, my purpose, my passion, you know, and I knew that like before I even got out, I used to run a boot camp with like 50 guys, you know, and I would leave the class. I can leave these people, which is all alpha males killers, drug dealers. There's no way possible I can't get out into society and lead people. And as I still do the, some of the same things I still do to this day. Like I still have holiday workouts, which while I was in prison, we used to have like holiday workouts. I would host a holiday workout. It'd be like 60, 70 guys out in the yard working out all at one time just for a holiday workout. And I still do the same thing. So I always, I always knew like that was my passion. And I love just to love just to, just to connect people and see people accomplish certain things that they never thought they could accomplish. Because just from when I was training the first kid, which made me fall in love with fitness right there. Like I was doing fitness because I like, I love to stay in shape. But once I trained that one kid and I seen the smile on his face and how he felt about himself, it sold me. I like, I that's that's my that's my passion. That's my purpose on this earth is to transform people's life, is to lead, teach, and serve them. Ever since I got out, you know, I've been dealing with fitness, but it wasn't always easy. That's, that's, that's what I'm glad you said that because I was there into that so you it, get was, it wasn't always easy because when i got out i went to multiple gyms in lexington when i first got out, i applied for every gym but i had to check the box i had to check the box and say i was a convicted felon you know and then they would say well we will call you back i would check on they were like well we haven't got to it yet i could have easily gave up i could have easily said you know what hey i'm just gonna go back to doing what i was doing but no, I ended up taking a job at a factory, which was hiring convicted felons for the time being, just to make sure that I put food on the table and make sure I could be able to take care of my kids and family and stuff like that. So I worked that job, those two, I worked two jobs, one in the factory and one at Kentucky State University, which were my second job was Kentucky State. And I actually was cleaning toilets, mopping floors, vacuuming and stuff like that. But, you know, it was part of it. But in the mix of me working at Kentucky State, I took my lunch time to go train some of the high school, I mean, the college kids for free. So I would leave my, I would not take a lunch, go to the 
uh, Exum and train some of the people that play basketball for Kentucky State for free. I was just taking and start posting it on social media, Facebook. And then on January, December, Christmas of December 2015, Wandell comes into the room and it's Christmas and he's looking for a present. All he wanted was a baseball bat and I couldn't provide it because I, I only, only money I was having was to take care of the family, put food on the table. That was it. So I had to tell him like, listen, dad don't got it. You know, and he broke down and cried in my lap. So from that day forward, that, that day, right, that moment, I got on my phone and said, I'm going to have Guru Fitness in my garage. And I started with three people. So that's like, so every person has a, how can I put it, never again moment. So when your yeah. son's crying because you weren't able to give him that, that more or less was your never again moment. Yes. That was my moment to say, it's time, it's, it's your time. It's your time. From there, from then, that, from that point forward, I was in my garage every day waiting on people. Some people, sometimes nobody never showed up, but I didn't give up on my gift. I didn't give up on my dream, you know, and, and my kids, they, they seen that, you know, and I always, and then one thing about me is I always talk to my kids about my dreams and my goals. So they know and see like, you know, my dad is, it does have goals and dreams and he's accomplishing everything that he said he set out to do. So it allows them to say, you know, Hey, my dad can do this from his situation. I can do the same thing. You know, one thing that people don't realize, and it took me a while to understand it, you know, cause now I have, I have multiple children. I have two, two daughters as a parent. You always want to make your child proud. Like you're the, like you're the child yourself, you know? Right. So what people don't realize is some points in time as the parent, you feel like the child because you want to make sure that you make your, your children proud. So I want to talk about how that made you feel when, when you, when you realized how proud your children were of you, when you went through everything that you went through and you were able to continue to stick with what you wanted to do. Oh man, that's, that's the, that gets me cold too. Like you see, think about that. Cause I already know, I try not to like think about it. I just try to stay focused and keep going. But listen, it's priceless. There's no words you can explain. Like one time my one deal, I posted something on Twitter and I think I was doing some workout and you know, he, he retweeted it and said to the point of the hardest working man I know, I'm proud of you. And like that right there, like, man, like that, that is, that's what I'm looking for. Like that, I don't care about nothing else in life. But I was with my kids. No, like I know my kids are proud of me and they are happy and they are proud to say, that's my dad. Like there's nothing, I don't care. You can, you can say anything in the world about me. Like, as long as my kids are proud of me, I don't care what nobody else. That's that's the truth, man. I don't think people ever really understand the, the magnitude of, of how that makes you feel unless you're a parent. That's a good thing. So let's dive into Wandell. So he goes from uh, Western Hills, gets Mr. Kentucky, goes to Kentucky, pulls out, goes to Nebraska, leaves Nebraska, comes back to Kentucky. You know, as, as a fan of Kentucky, that made me realize maybe he understood that he should have never pulled out anyways as the as the parent talk us through like how that how that made your son feel and at what point your son realized he should have you know he should have just stayed at Kentucky I don't think that he should have just stayed at Kentucky because okay at the time Kentucky was actually just a, a running school itself you know and right. he was going to school to be a receiver and at the time the office that they had was just basically running so he would never got to display his actual talent going to Nebraska at the time was the best move and that's where he wanted to go so I'm I'm going to support my kid whatever he wants to do you know and then come the time when okay now Kentucky's changing offenses and Nebraska's not doing they said they was going to do you know he's more now back in the backfield because they don't have enough backs and you know and he's actually getting banged up more you know he's getting a lot of wear and tear on his body and he's you know he's not a running back in college he's an actual slot receiver but they didn't have the the roster or whatever you know the talent for him to play running I mean the 
for other running backs to play and leave him at slot. So he had to play running back a little bit. It was a good move for him to go out there for two years because it actually grew. He grew up a lot because now you can't just run home when things get rough, you know. And now that he's back home, he's a lot more mature and he's happy where he's at. And we love Kentucky. Amen to that. You know, I want to touch base on the Nebraska on Nebraska before we get into other a few other things that we have to discuss. You know, that was kind of like one of the things that, if you remember who Lawrence Phillips is. That was kind of yes. one of the things that led to his, how can I put it, his early demise. Like, it's kind of a similar situation if you look back at back at things. Like, I, I feel like what could have been with him had right. he, it's just sad, man. So you, your son's very fortunate to be able to have a second chance to be where or what he truly is. How excited right. is he? How excited is he to get that second chance and be a Kentucky? <laughs> oh, man, he, he loves it. He, first day, you know, he calls me, they lifting weights and they doing frenzy stuff. He's like, Dad, this is the best. Like, I, I love it here. Like, I have so much fun here, you know, and, and, and it's a, a family oriented, you know, like he actually, I don't think he ever, and, and there's no knock to Nebraska. I don't think he ever been to none of the coaches' houses at Nebraska, but mm-hmm. all the players are like allowed to go. They go, you know, to their coaches' house. So, that shows like a little bit more connection and, you know, they more in tune with their players, you know, like, so that's kind of like, and I, and I get it because like in high school, we went to my basketball coach's house all the time, you know, and that draw that camaraderie, you know, and that trustworthy stuff. So, you know, he loves it and I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I want to get, I want to get back to um, the point earlier in the conversation where you were talking about how at Kentucky State, you were a janitor, you know, I, I was too for a living for the school board here for a couple of years. And I was a janitor self for, you know, all four years of my high school life. You know, um, that is like the position that, you know, anywhere that often gets overlooked. People don't realize how important people like that, you know, truly are. And like, I judge people like, I seen something the other day on the internet, you know, the actor Tom Hardy, he says something along the lines of, I judge people by how they treat janitors. And that was it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, it, it's good. Let me ask you, this is the best way. How did it help you having to do stuff like that? How did it help you appreciate what you have today? Listen, every every everything that you go through in life prepares you for what you are about to become. So, me being a janitor actually helped me to understand, like, I'm not too good to clean up my own gym. You know, I don't have to hire people. I can clean my own gym. I can do my own thing. I can do the dirty work because I've done the dirty work before. I done clean toilets, so it's okay for me to clean my own toilet you know and and it goes back further than that because when you're in prison you work for 12 cents an hour mm. you know so when you're working for 12 cents an hour what more possibly could you be mad about if you work for 12 cents an hour and you are working your butt off What's the difference when you come out and you work for eleven, twelve dollars an hour, and now you to the point where you you make numerous amounts of dollars because you don't work your way up? Like I just didn't. Someone's handed to me, you know. And me being a janitor at Kentucky State actually gave me more. How can I say this? It actually gave me more time to actually sit down and talk to kids about my situation, them understand like where they at in life, the privilege that they do have of being in school and getting a good education and not going the route that I went. So I used my situation to help kids and talk to them and just, you know, give them some form of value and give them some insight on, you know, how life can change. But if you do the right thing, then you can get where you need to go at. So at what point in time did you realize you needed to start telling people uh, it ain't worth it? Because, you know, I was one of the young people that they see people doing certain things in life they shouldn't do, but they get focused on the, the good side of things. When did you start when telling they, telling kids it ain't worth it? They Since I came home. <laughs> Ever since I've been home, I've been telling kids it ain't worth it, you know, and it comes to the 
point now that I have a foundation called the Wanda George Robinson Foundation. And that's part of my role is to tell kids, you know, speak life into kids and let them know, like, you know, you are capable of doing anything. You don't have to go the route that your parents or I went or your dad went or your uncle went. You can be whatever you want to become, like, but we have to expose them to those things so they can know that those, those things are available to them. Because growing up where I grew up, like, it was either sports or rap. No, you can be an entrepreneur. You can be an author. You know, you can be a, a doctor or a lawyer. You can be all these things, but we have to expose them to that so they know that they are capable and they is, it's out there for them to get. Definitely, definitely. Mr. Robinson, I want to thank you for your time. Before we end this conversation, if you could give somebody, anybody out there, one piece of advice, what would it be and why? What piece of advice would I would give them? This is what I want because the world is so caught up on want to be like everybody else on social media right now, you know, and they don't and it's they not understand it's okay to be different. So my thing is this, whatever makes you different is your greatest asset to this world. Because think about this, if you are not being who God made you to be, then you're doing disservice to God and why he made you. So it's okay to be different because different is good. Not different is not bad. And people always want to be what they see on social media and not knowing that everything that they went through is for them. Because what you put out there is different made you for who you are, to be somebody else and stop watering yourself down, to be what somebody else wants you to be. Be you. What makes you different is your greatest asset to this world.